This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Yeah, I feel... Um it's a duty for everyone who's working today to start to, rather than fight AI, partner with AI, uh, because there'll be room to coexist. <laughs> I don't want to say room to coexist as if this invasion is going to happen, right? <laughs> you know, conspiracies are always uh, popular. No, I mean, sorry. So one of the things that we like to think about, you know, um, you think about uh, being able to program and run some, some uh, you know, beginner data science models and being able to use Excel, you know, when we're 10 years in the future, it's like, it's a good skill to have. You're not going to get like a job just because you know how to do it. So I, I think that's where we'll get to. Like kids are learning this today, right? Like, you know, I, I have uh, uh, kids who are like elementary school age and they are like, you know, after school type programs that you can go and they learn to program a little bit in, in Python and they learn to, to run some of these models a little bit, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, I think in the future, you have a you know, generation of people who are like, yeah, I know how to use Excel. In the same way, they will say, yeah, I know how to run a random forest or something. It's not going to be the thing that defines the job, but it's a thing that you kind of need to know. Right? A skill set you need to have. You need to be certified or you need to have you know, experience using a computer. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, more and more people were worried. And there was this whole movement about retraining the workforce and teaching people how to use computers. And now something similar is happening here too, where software came in and it might be Excel, it might be Salesforce, it might be some technology that makes you run more efficiently. Now it's going to be AI, like, you know, understand how AI is used so that you can, you can work around it and you can work with it. And, you know, it is an education and I don't think there's a standardized path here. I mean, a lot of people that want to get into this industry um, struggle in terms of where do I start? It's not hmm. like there's a, uh, it's right in front of you like Excel and you can play around with it and you know you can you can buy some courses and learn people sometimes don't know where to start what advice do you have for, for those people who want to make a move into AI How, what, what's the roadmap look like yeah I mean look I, I think the other thing is generational so you know um, when I was going to to college uh, I don't think there was a such a well-defined like AI path that was computer science and you know maybe there were a couple of classes in it but today, I think most colleges do have a, a degree in, in AI or machine learning or, or something on this line. So, so th there's been a shift, and that's why we, we have this mixed bag, right? Now, on the flip side, uh, yeah. So, if you if you are in a situation where you know uh, either because you didn't do it in college and you're a recent graduate, or because you know there wasn't such a thing, then a couple of options for you. I mean, you can go all the way to like trying to do a, a master's, be it online or something like that, if you have the time and commitment. Uh, you could do a generalized course, you know, there are a couple of other uh, courses out there that, that generally teach machine learning and AI. If you're looking for real estate specifically, obviously, Property Consultants offer something. Um, so you can, uh, you know, come and contact us and we do run a course for how you can apply data science and machine learning uh, to real estate. Um, so there are a couple of options there. Um, it depends on sort of, you know, uh, how much, uh, you know, how deeply you want to get into it, your uh, budget in terms of time as well. Um, and, and I think just go from there. Uh, the other sort of trend is that, you know, maybe over time, uh, and, and this hasn't happened yet, but I think over the next maybe 10, 20 years, some of the software might get a little bit more and more user-friendly. So you're right, like Excel, most people could probably pick it up and, and figure out how to use it. 
that hasn't happened yet for a lot of these data science machine learning. But I, I see some of the things along the way that, that are, are going to potentially get us there, you know, maybe in the next decade or two, where, yeah, it's, it's fully sort of, you know, something where you could pick it up and start playing with it and figure it out yourself. Yeah, no, I, I struggled, um, especially when I tried to enter this technical field and try to figure out where to start. And I did endless courses and, you know, stumbling upon your course was the first course I had ever seen that was really practical because you're implementing um, AI in every aspect in the real estate sector. And the course is very diverse. We can talk about it later. Um, but I struggled initially and, and I, um, I did courses and some of these courses were over my head. Some of these courses, you know, were so mathematical or assumed you had a prerequisite where you could program very well. I mean, it felt like some of these courses were made for hardcore engineers who wanted to, you know, um, who, who wanted to uh, do more with AI in their hardcore engineering way. What do you think are the prerequisites? Uh, what does someone need to know as a basis before they're ready to, to get technical and understand AI in a hands-on way? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we run a course that, that does get in, into some depth on this. Um, we don't need people to know programming to start, um, but we will teach you, right? So people can come in and learn that. I will say, I, I think, um, you know... Computer just, to, just to pause you there, by the way, there's something very powerful about what you said. You can kill two birds with one stone. You can... In order to learn programming and AI, you might as well just apply programming to AI. And, you know, learning programming is part of the curriculum for learning AI. So I think courses like that I found to be the most helpful. The ones that weren't written for the hardcore engineers, but the courses that were built for, look, this is a technical course. We're going to sort of teach you the foundations. And it turns out what you're learning isn't just um, core for AI, it's cool for appreciating how computers work. It's cool for appreciating how software works and how, how computers are overall, which I think is itself is mandatory. People need to know this. But I'll, I'll let you continue, yeah. No, absolutely, because like, what is machine learning, right? We said, you know, previously you write a computer program and it will do step one, do step two, do step three. The machine learning is wants to be able to get this outcome. For example, predict the home price, here's a data set, and then telling the computer, go figure out how to go from here to here, right? And so that's sort of machine learning and, and, and heart of, of, of things like AI. Um, and so yeah, you know, we're, you're right. You know, we, we run a course that, that combines these things, so programming and, and then uh, sort of machine learning AI approaches. Um, in terms of prerequisites, people need to be computer literate. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people who still um, uh, have some difficulty with, with, with navigating uh, some aspects of that. that. That's going to be a little bit difficult. So, so get that up and going. Um, and then programming takes time. It's like a language. I mean, it is a language. It, but the same way it takes a little while to learn to speak a new language like German or Spanish or something if you haven't spoken it before. You know, you need to be able to commit the time to practicing and trying it out and trying to say things in that language, which is what writing a program is, uh, and then give that a go. Math-wise, I think where we've gotten to, at least at least the way we run it, and I think most other courses could be similar, you don't really need to have like a, a super solid background that you can read and understand the theoretical equations behind it. I don't think that you need to be able to prove why this is the most optimal use of the data. So like, you know, there are some proofs that, hey, this is the most efficient estimator. There are some proofs that, 
algorithm A is equivalent to algorithm B. We don't need that math, and that's where a lot of the old textbooks you would focus on, right? Like proofs of these things, and you don't need that. But I do think that um, you know having sort of a high school or equivalent understanding of statistics is, is useful. So if you can remember maybe what is a hypothesis test and what is a p-value and things like that, I think up to that level, and then and then the rest can sort of follow from there. Uh, that's our feeling, but we are very reasonable. So, I mean, that, that's refreshing as someone who comes from the institution of education. I mean, you're, you know, you, you've done, I mean, you, you've, taught, you've taught university courses, <laughs> you know, you've got a PhD. Why is the educational establishment, I would say this today, is still somewhat outdated and so rigorously focused on the math aspect? Why is that happening, Nelson? I think it's changing now, uh, but yes, look, I mean, actually a lot of these methods that, that we are calling AI and machine learning today, they are old methods, right? So some of them were around from, from like the 60s. They weren't that popular then because we didn't have the computing power to execute them. And now they're coming into popularity. Now, obviously there's a whole branch of stuff that, that, that is probably new, right? You know, there, there are a lot of these um, uh, uh, approaches, like the deep learning approaches that have probably branched off and, and gone further. You know, things like genetic algorithms and all that. So probably, you know, growing a lot more today. And then I wouldn't say maybe a lot of that's a really old method. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, that, that stuff came from academics. And, and I think that what happens is, you know, um, you think about how a university is set up, right? We hire a professor and we hire him because we want to improve the university rankings and he needs to have published a certain number of papers. And as we publish papers, our score goes up. And so you get these guys who then need to focus on um, on, on getting this research out. And when, when I was in the PhD program, I realized it's sort of a shift in mindset, right? You go from like, you know, undergraduate where you're learning some methods and masters, maybe you're applying them and in PhD, you're like, I'm not trying to solve one problem. I'm trying to show in my research that this entire class of problems is potentially solvable by somebody else, or that it's not solvable, or that this problem is this, this class of problems is exactly the same as that class of problems. So that's the type of research that happens. And then as you develop something, you know, maybe you become the one who, who sets up the syllabus. And we end up in this way where it's super mathematical, right? So, you know, you teach time series and you focus on all the equations rather than let's apply it, you know, and let's take a data set and do it. Um, I, I, I think that might be changing, you know, the types of courses that, that we do help universities to run tend to be a little bit more applied. Um, but then on the other hand, if they're asking industry guys to, to sort of help out, maybe there is still a gap. Um, so yeah, I, let's see. It feels like a complete, um... Mis not even misunderstanding, a lack of awareness uh, on the academic side with what, and this has always been the disconnect in, in all systems where the academic system and the practical system are so out of sync, where employers complain that people coming out of school are grossly underqualified. And, you know, the academics also, there is some elitism going on. And this, this, can, um, this can prevent a lot of people uh, from trying to research and understand AI. It feels like a lot of the literature out there is, is, is very extreme. On one hand, you've got sensational articles that talk about, you know, shallow level things and AI, how it's going to, you know, cause problems in society and the ethics of AI. And then on the other extreme, you've got extreme like equations and mathematical research. And, you know, this is what you find when you Google it. And I think what's missing is this middle ground and easy path where you take it step by step. And I don't think, and I can share with you or share with our listeners after I've gone through this, not just once, several times, you know, I've done a lot of stop and starts with learning how to code and learning AI. 
is just don't try to do everything. There are so many areas of AI and we touched on them. There's things like computer vision, there's NLP where you're looking at text and you're, the machine's able to read the text and the speech transcription and there's image recognition and there's you know calculations for things. Pick one area or even better, don't go straight into the algorithms. Just start by thinking about something simple like Excel. What can you do in Excel? What are some functions in Excel that are very useful for you day to day? One of those might be you can sum, uh, you can sum some rows or columns together, right? You can multiply, you can addition, you can you know do all of that. Then it might turn into okay, how do I find the average? How do I find the mean? Once you start to think about what you can do in Excel and you try to replicate that, and I found you know your course and others um, are, are a great springboard for this. One two lines of code. And you can calculate the mean, you can calculate the standard deviation, you can calculate, you know, some scores. And I think that's where, that's a really good way to start. It's not intimidating. It helps to understand some of the intuition, you know, like what a mean or a mode is, obviously. But you don't have to go into calculus level or, you know, differential equations or linear algebra. It's just a few sharp things. And it's at that Pareto principle, 80-20, you know, the few things you can do with your hands on a keyboard that can give you tremendous amount of insights and how you can plot the most beautiful graph in just, you know, a few lines of code is, is mind blowing. And it, people don't realize that's how easy it is. I'm sure you see this with your students, right? You type a few lines of code and they're just saying, wow, I, I was able to just put that on the screen and implement it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think that's right. And I, I like I like this this way of thinking about it. You know, think about like a concrete thing that you can do that's simple. And we do try to introduce uh, piecemeal, various things like that. The other thing that I wanted to highlight is, and I think in combination with that, ultimately do a project, right? Like actually build something that has some impact and some interest to you. We focus on that in the course, um, pick a data set, run some analysis that's useful for you or your company, and then present that project. And by actually doing it hands-on, you learn tons of stuff, right? And then you, you learn how it's usable. And I need this because I'm going to do that, or I want to show that, so I need this. And then you don't, you know, if your project doesn't involve analyzing images, then don't learn, like, right now, image recognition, right? And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the other thing I want to point out, I think schools are becoming like that. We increasingly, you know, as we hire interns or fresh grads, I do see a lot of them that, that do have uh, some sort of real-world data projects. So hopefully that is the trend and hopefully, you know, uh, uh, this continues. Yeah. So Nelson, to round up, why don't you tell us a bit about Property Quants for people that want to contact you or go on your course. Why don't you tell them a little bit about the offerings and uh, how, how, how do you actually sign up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, uh, you've participated in this before. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, you know, we do run an 11 weeks uh, course called Applying Data Science and Machine Learning to Real Estate. Um, it is run online. Uh, the default is live sessions, so you join a meeting like this, but you know, maybe 10 or 20 participants. Uh, you know, it's really like attending a university course in this, but uh, online. So we have people from all over the world. Right now, 40% from the US, about 20% from the UK, and people from all over. We have people who've taken part from Africa and Australia and, and things like that. So you get to also join the community and, and, and participate, and you know, uh, you're on there as well, and you can participate and chat with all the alumni and current participants. Um, we've had participants from uh, investment funds, pensions, and a lot of prop tech guys as well have participated, appraisers and validators, data scientists, and so on. Um, we'll start from the beginning, we'll start with, and you don't have to know programming, you can join us learn Python, Pandas, machine learning, and then we'll go into the domain-specific applications of data science real estate, building a property price index, you know, automated valuation, forecasting, 
how do we find similar properties, you know, build market cycle indicators, geographic information systems, so we can analyze location and spatial data. And all of this, you know, culminates in a capstone project. So we've had people, you know, sort of scrape uh, certain uh, listing information and then use that uh, to build automated valuation and say, hey, concretely, these are my top 10 opportunities to fix and flip and make a profit in, in, in property. Or these are my top 10 buy to let where people do forecasting. So from a fund perspective, hey, these are my top 10 zip codes for office market investment, right? Um, you know, so my deal sourcing team should prioritize uh, looking at these uh, places. So, so tons of content that's really applied and relevant. Um, and if people want to find out more, they can visit our website at propertycons.com slash training. So propertycons.com slash training, or they can email us at training at propertycons.com. Nelson, I know I, I did the course asynchronously, which means, you know, I didn't tune in live and I know most of the value of the course is live. But if you're a busy professional, I was so eager to do your course. I didn't want to wait for your, because uh, you were staggering them. You were doing uh, live sessions and then recording that, right? Um, in the uh, Asian time zone and then in European time zone and US time zone. And I didn't want to wait for the live US one. I just wanted to get, you know, dug in. So I benefited a lot from that. And I know for the live participants, the courses are also recorded uh, for the duration of that course and they can, you know, they can listen to it. I, it took me, some some of these subjects were so interesting or so technical, uh, you know, I had to listen to the videos a few times, but that was beautiful because then you can dissect what's happening and then apply it and then you realize, okay, that wasn't so hard, you know? So I, th I think that's a beautiful thing today about um, e-learning as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we do offer that option. Um, you know, I would say the split is about half up. Uh, participants doing it live and participants doing it by video. Uh, and and you're right. Like even the the live participants do do benefit uh, from being able to rewatch that. Uh, we've thought this quite a number of times now. So we've learned some things about sort of e-learning and, and how to use this format really well. And you're right, there's some advantages over a live class because, hey, you can repeat that, you can rewind it. Um, you know, we, we use the break rooms, we do exercises, uh, you can ask questions in the community. So there are things that happen that in a regular classroom you, you can't do. And then we've sort of uh, tried to take full advantage of that. And we have tons of support, right? So, you know, although you might choose to do it that way, we have guys to help with the software setup and we have TA sessions and things like that. I also definitely think this, this course keeps you accountable. I mean, it's not a cheap course. It is an investment, you know, and you can probably t tell us about what, what, what the current pricing is at least. But I also found people who do it live, you don't go easy on them, right? You're like, okay, well, why isn't it working? Show me your screen. And you know that, that that suddenly like changes everything. You can't just passively do this. You have to do it. So I felt like a lot of people that do these courses need to be held accountable. Um, you know, we come up with great wish lists when we're outside going for a run, or you know, we're on a plane and you write down your top things you want to do in life. One of them is I want to learn to code. I want to learn AI. Well, damn, do it then and, and sign up for the live live course. And the benefit right. of that I saw is you know being able to share the screen and you being able to troubleshoot issues. Uh, and there will be, you know, it, there is a setup involved. And it's, Absolutely. It's, yeah. yeah, look, I mean, uh, a couple of points there, they're all really valuable. Uh, you know, joining the course is a commitment device, right? Um, and so it's absolutely, you know, if, we, if you join either live or by video and we say, hey, here's this weekly schedule and six weeks after the last class present a project, that creates a commitment in your mind that, hey, you know, I've, I've got to understand this because I want to build a project and present it and, and others can attend the presentation. 
uh, it's a commitment in, in that sense. It's a commitment in terms of time. There is a financial uh, commitment as well. Um, you know, if, if you want to find out the latest pricing, send us an email at training at publicconsult.com. It's just a little bit uh, varied depending on which modules you want to take and which attendance option. Uh, so it's a little bit easier, you know, if we send you sort of the complete information. So they can email us at training at something else. I'm, I'm sure if they mention the PropTech VC podcast, you'll figure out a, a discount for them of some sort, right? Uh, yeah, mention the PropTech VC podcast. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll work something out. Um, and we, you know, this is definitely relevant for a lot of, of the people who, who are listening in. Whether you you are in PropTech and you do want to apply some of these methods to your business, uh, whether you are in real estate investing. Or, or, you know, as, as you had done, hey, you, you want to understand what other companies are potentially doing, getting in-depth into that can be a, you know, tremendously yeah. valuable. And, and Nelson, also, why do people do the course? I mean, my motivation was, and I think you laughed when, you know, you, you do an interview with your students, right, uh, before they join, so you can understand them, um, or, you know, they can call you and they can find out more. But I said to you, look, I'm a PropTech VC, hence the PropTech VC podcast, right? And I am seeing so many startups who claim to be using AI, and I don't know what's real and what isn't. And as I'm investing not just my own money, but I'm investing money from LPs who invested in my VC fund, right, at Bluefield, um, I really need to make sure that I am doing due diligence and I can understand what's real and isn't. And also, I want to open my mind. I want to understand where is this industry going? Because I want to invest in companies and startups that are going to change uh, the ecosystem prop tech and you know generate big returns and AI is is mandatory to, to get there as at least in many areas. What what are the common reasons people do your course? I, I just gave a few there. Yeah. And look, I mean, you know, it turns out that there have been a number of other participants sort of with that same idea that here I want to understand uh, you know in the VC space. So we've had a number of participants from that that background. Um, you know, we've had, so investment funds, this is really a, a popular cost for investment funds in real estate as well, concretely want to build out investment strategies using data-driven approaches. We're seeing a lot more interest in that, right? So, uh, you know, like Investor in Oxford using AI methods in Australia, Quarry and Cherry picking properties out in, in New York, uh, you know, Two Sigma, uh, which is a, a big uh, a typical hedge fund now applying their methods into real estate. It's a lot of interest from that standpoint and we have funds who send a number of analysts and say okay you know in our geography and our asset class can we build a capstone project that there's some analysis and where to invest or what the drivers of returns are so that's absolutely one reason or you know if you're in a prop tech a number of, of them have joined because hey we hire data scientists but they're not from the real estate field so how do we apply the domain specific methods into our, our, our company so a number have joined based on that appraisers and evaluators. So a number of, of forward-thinking appraisers and evaluators say, okay, but I understand if I'm valuing, say, urban high-rises, you know, you know, there is, you know, maybe there is a big opportunity to scale up the business and differentiate my offering by using these sort of data-driven methods. So absolutely. We uh, then have had a number of, of realtors, right, who say, okay, you know, maybe I can keep track of a large number of listings and so on and so forth. And figure out maybe, you know, um, undervalued uh, uh, opportunities or find off-market inventory, right? So there's that property developers looking at, you know, can I understand a location, plot out some of these factors on the GIS map, um, and then individuals, right, saying, hey, I understand, right, and it's underscored by sort of this KPMG survey that, you know, data science in real estate is the next big wave. Can I sort of future-proof my career? Or, or get into some of these opportunities or get into prop tech companies or, or get into the forward thinking uh, uh, sort of real estate investment firms. So, so for all of these various reasons, 
uh, we've had this mix of participants. Um, so yeah, many different use cases. Yeah, I mean, it sounds mandatory to me, and I think it is becoming mandatory in schools at least when they do teach you some or some exposure. I mean, I can't speak globally, but you know, in many places they are teaching you how to use computers, uh, maybe a little bit of programming, maybe a little bit about how AI works. And if you're at a university, highly recommend doing um, a course. And you don't have to jump into a hardcore course. It could just be data analytics using Python or you know, a title like that, which which gives you a good entry level taste. Well, look, I, I appreciate you coming on. This is a uh, most exciting topic in my view in prop tech and real estate. So uh, it's great to have an expert like you. Uh, so thanks a lot. No, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak and look forward to catching up again.